You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Yes, that is true. He was the son of Jesse. But notice also, it suggests there in verse 1, but he was raised up on high. In other words, he was also raised up by God. Now listen, this is not only true of David, but it is also true of you and me as well. You see, we reach our full potential when we yield ourselves to that work of God our Father within our lives. When we met him, David was only the youngest son of Jesse. He was just a shepherd boy. But he surrendered his life to God and yielded to the Lord's purposes for him. Through that, he became a king. And not just a king. He was the most famous king in Israel. He was the man with a heart like God's heart. Just think of what God can do with your life if you will yield yourself to him. It doesn't matter who you are now. It doesn't matter if you smell like sheep. He takes your life and makes it what he wants it to be. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23 as he begins his message, Famous Last Words. So we're in this morning, 2 Samuel chapter 23, and this morning's message, the title is Famous Last Words. Uh, Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, we pray now that you'd bless our time together as we uh, treat this uh, text of Scripture. Father, I pray that we would learn all of the lessons that are contained within it. God, I pray that you would use it to just further your work in the lives of your people. Lord, uh, we pray that Uh, those who need to be encouraged and strengthened and challenged and rebuked if necessary. Lord, just have your way with us. Lord, just move us closer to you. Lord, transform us into the image of your Son. God, as we study your word, bless now. Father, we appeal to the great teacher who is the Holy Spirit to that end. And God, as always, would ask that my words would be your words. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again... This morning's message, the title is Famous Last Words. Let's begin in verse 1. So chapter 23, verses 1 through 7, will serve as our text this morning. Verse 1. Now these are the last words of David. So obviously things are winding down now in our series and our studies in the book of 2 Samuel. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus saith the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. So again, these 
verses of Scripture, verses 1 through 7, serve as David's last words. And listen, you know, I want you to think about this. We, we can actually learn so much about a person when at the end of their life, they speak their last words. Why is that? Because those words often are so revealing and so heartfelt. And listen, not only here in our uh, text this morning, but throughout the Bible, it records for us some famous last words. For example, in the book of Genesis in chapter 49, let me serve up a couple of examples for you. Jacob, on his deathbed, gathered together his sons and spoke about their past weaknesses and strengths. And then he, one by one, prophesied over them. And as an example of this, you know, there were 12 of Jacob's sons that he prophesied over concerning their future and their, uh, their failures, their victories and, and such. Probably the one that is most familiar to all of us was the words that jo- uh, Jacob spoke about his son, uh, Joseph. And there in Genesis chapter 49, in verse 22, notice the way that he describes Joseph and Joseph's life. And I love this. He says, Joseph is a fruitful bough. And I want you to think about that. We're familiar with this character in the Bible. And uh, just think about the fruitfulness of this man's life. And everything that he put his hand to prospered. God blessed him richly. A fruitful bough by a, a well. And that conjures up a picture of a never-ending supply. You know, and, and that's really who Joseph was. Everything that he touched, everything that he blessed, turned to, to gold, was a blessing. And then it goes on to declare, and his branches ran over the wall. So everyone that came into contact with Joseph, every, in association with Joseph, was blessed as well. You know, every time I read this, I can't help but think about my dad. And obviously, I'm Italian, and... And Italians took, and still today, take, especially the old Italians, took real pride in their gardens. And I was raised in Hoboken, New Jersey. And in our yards, my dad, you know, planted all of these trees. We had fig trees, and my dad planted all sorts of vegetables. But we had this apple tree. And this apple tree, you know, over the years, my father would prune it. And, but it would always hang over. It was a small yard, really. But the apple tree, as it grew the branches hung over to the people on both sides of us in their yards. And so it produced great numbers of apples, and then our neighbors were able to get the apples from the branches that hung over into their yards as well. And and that's the picture that is being conjured up here in this verse of Scripture. His branches run over the wall. So everyone in association with Joseph was blessed and enriched and their experience, and their relationship with the Lord. So anyway, those were Jacob's last words. And sometime during the week, you might want to read the entire chapter and find out the other things that he said about his other sons. Another example of this would be recorded for us in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 33. And there we have recorded first the last words of Moses. And they've been recorded there for us as he gathers together all of the 12 tribes of Israel and also speaks of the future of each tribe through a word of prophecy. So what we have recorded there are Moses' famous last words. And particularly in verse 27 of chapter 33 in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses declared, The eternal God 
is your refuge. He's addressing now the entire nation, all of the 12 tribes. He says, the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath us is his everlasting arms. And what a beautiful picture that is. That is God upholding us, supporting us. So what a beautiful picture we have recorded there in that text of Scripture. Let me give you a couple of New Testament examples of famous last words. Paul, writing to his young protege, Timothy, in the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 4, in verses 6 through 8, facing an unsure future, didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. More than likely, Paul was going to be martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. And thus he writes, The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. So those were Paul's famous last words. Let me give you one final example, also from the New Testament, Stephen, which happened to be the first martyr of the Christian church. And it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 7, verses 59 and 60. As he was being put to death by stoning, he declared, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and do not charge them with this sin. So, famous last words that are recorded for us throughout the Old and New Testament alike. Now, let me raise this question. Why are the last words of individuals often profound? They are enormously reflective and touched by the nearness of eternity. So how do we answer that question? Well, I think that the person who utters those words is recognizing that they are going to enter into the eternal realm. And thus they are more conscious of the things of God and their relationship with God. So think about it. Their passions of life are over, all of their desires, seeking revenge for the things that have harmed them throughout their lives. Those things are now past. They're passing over the border line of this present world into eternity. And I think it is also at this time where our affections are the purest and most tender. The words of love for God and men are often spoken. Our true feelings are expressed. And also, let me add, dying saints often preach powerful sermons. And such is the case before us here in 2 Samuel in chapter 23. And so what we have before us are David's last words. Now, one writer describing these last words that are recorded for us here in verses 1 through 7 said of them, the short psalm, and that's basically what it's become now, it's another psalm that David wrote, is a beautiful song of wisdom from David at the end of his life, wherein he does in a few words but full of matter. He acknowledges God's benefits. He confesses his sins. He professes his faith. He comforts himself in the covenant that God had made with him and pronounces destruction to unbelievers. So how much in just a little, in just a little bit of David's words that are recorded for us here in this text. Now, with that said, let's go back to that text And I want you to notice there in verse 1, first of all, David is described for us as the son of Jesse. 
And yes, that is true. He was the son of Jesse. But notice also, it suggests there in verse 1, but he was raised up on high. In other words, he was also raised up by God. Now listen, this is not only true of David, but it is also true of you and me as well. You see, we reach our full potential when we yield ourselves to that work of God our Father within our lives. You know, as Jesse, David's father, he reached his potential as a shepherd, but he reached his potential as God raising him up as Israel's king. He was anointed of God. And listen, you know what? When we give ourselves unto the Lord and we acknowledge and recognize him as our father, you too will reach your full potential, whatever that potential might be. Maybe as a a mother or a father raising your child, your children in your own homes, a Christian businessman, a Christian businesswoman, the pastor of, of a church. You too can reach your full potential when you acknowledge and recognize God as your father. But also notice another way that David is recommended to us here as the sweet psalmist of Israel. And more than likely, probably, that was the greatest legacy that David left behind. It was his greatest accomplishment. I'm referring to the Psalms that are written and contained within the book of Psalms. That is Israel's hymn book. And the Psalms help us in our understanding of who God is. All of what is contained in David's writings that are recorded for us in the Psalms. You know, it gives us some insights to help us better understand the character and the nature of God, who God is, and our relationship with him. It serves to help man in his worship and praise of God, giving thanks to God. But it also serves to bring help and comfort to those in times of need, strength and encouragement. How often myself I turn to the Psalms when I need a good jolt of spiritual strength. And often, you know, when I'm visiting with someone who's going through a difficult time, I often refer them back to the book of Psalms. And I always encourage them, hey, read the Psalms. Because many of the Psalms, not only David wrote many of the Psalms, most of the Psalms that are recorded in that book of the Bible, but also Moses and Asaph, the chief musician. And all of those Psalms were written out of their own personal experiences, the difficulties, the trials that they went through, and how they were able to overcome them. And so that's the reason why I suggest that people in times of trouble, in their own life's experience, go to the book of Psalms and they'll find that encouragement, they'll find that strength, they'll receive that counsel. And so when I need a good jolt of spiritual strength, that's where I go to and I would suggest you do likewise. So notice again the description, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Just a little bit of trivia concerning David. I don't know if you knew this or not, probably you did. But did you know that more of the Bible is devoted to David than any other person with the exception of Jesus Christ himself? So there's more recorded about David than any other Bible character. So therefore, there are many lessons that can be learned through his life. And that's what we've been doing over the last several months, right? Studying both the books of 1 Samuel as well as 2 Samuel. Now, David describes for us, let's go back to our text, how these last words were inspired. Let's go now to our text in verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord, this is David's declaration, 
the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. So David often operated in the gift of prophecy. At times, he was a prophet. Notice also then in verse 3, he goes on to declare, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. So David declares, God had spoken to him. So all of what is recorded in these first seven verses of chapter 23 were given to him by God. It was an, a prophecy. It was an utterance of prophecy. You know, but again, the emphasis here is that God had spoken to David. You know, it's a pity, I think, that man has not experienced this for themselves. That is God speaking to their hearts. You know, just the thrill, the joy. You know, when we just get alone together with God, and God speaks to us. And what a blessing when we know that God is speaking to us. But I think the problem with many of us, is, and we don't experience this for ourselves, is that we just don't take the time to just sit quietly before the Lord, allowing him to speak. You know, we get so wrapped up in everything that's going on in our lives, and rather than just sitting and seeking the Lord for answers to our problems. And uh, just want, you know, going through the Word of God, spending some time regularly in the Word of God, seeking God for His counsel. I think that it would serve us well to do that. And I think that it's a pity. And so let me ask you the question. When was the last time that you know without question that God had spoken to you? That you received a revelation from Him? Without question, without doubt, you know that God has spoken to you. So maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe you're dealing with some question as it relates to your life, your experience. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to turn. You don't know what to do. Well, again, just take some time out to sit quietly before the Lord, open up the Bible, and give God an opportunity to speak to you. And what a blessing. What a joy that is. What a thrill that is uh, to know that God is concerned, that God will answer. Well, anyway, David goes on, notice he declares that when God spoke to him, he said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. Now, who is he referring to here? Well, I believe that this is a reference to Jesus, the rock. Jesus, our defense. Jesus, our strength. That smiting rock described for us by Daniel in the second chapter of his book, which dashes the final world government the ten toes, remember that image that was erected by King Nebuchadnezzar, and each one of the parts of that image represented a world government, the final world government that would exist prior to Christ's second coming was represented by the ten toes, which also was symbolic of the last world empire that would exist upon the face of the earth, a confederation of ten nations. And many people believe, many Bible teachers believe, that that is a reference to the European common market and that there are a confederation of ten nations that make up that group of that last world empire there. And then all of a sudden, Daniel goes on to describe that rock becomes a mountain 
after it dashes the ten toes, after it dashes that image which represents the world governments and becomes a mountain and fills the whole earth. In fact, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 45, there it is right there. Inasmuch as you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, this is a reference to Jesus, a prophetical announcement, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, all of these different world empires that were represented by bronze and iron and gold and, uh, and such, the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king, which will come to pass after this, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. So Jesus, our solid rock. Now also something else that I want to draw your attention to in verses 2 and 3, we have a picture of the Trinity. So this would be something to take special note of, particularly in dealing with and refuting those who suggest that Jesus was not God or that there's only one God rather than the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Because notice what David says. He, he tells us here, first of all, in verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, that is the Holy Spirit, and his word was on my tongue. Then notice in verse 3, he says, the God of Israel said, this is a reference to Jehovah God, the Father. And then lastly, he goes on to declare, and the rock of Israel, who is Jesus, spoke to me. So what we have here is a picture of the Trinity. So I just wanted to draw your attention to that. Arm yourself. That's something good to have in your arsenal to refute those who suggest that there's only one God. Now, what did God speak to David? What did the triune God speak to David? Well, think about it. David was a ruler. He was the king of Israel. And David was aware of his shortcomings of his reign. But the Lord spoke to him about another ruler who was to come. And who was that ruler? It was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who would reign in justice. And so God said of Jesus, and it's recorded for us there in the latter part of verse 3, He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Now this is an interesting principle that's recorded for us here. One who rules must be just as far as man is concerned, but he must also be conscious of the fact that he is ruled by God as well. Now this has been one of the tragedies of human history. A man ruling over men without having a consciousness of God. No accountability towards God. And that has lent itself to, you know, they think of themselves as the final authority. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. In the book of 2 Samuel, the king God anointed is finally on the throne. King David, the man after God's heart, is in the place God planned for him. Yet David is still human. And as you continue to study this book with Pastor Mike, you'll see that fact time and time again. 
David falls to the temptation of sin and reaps the consequences of his actions. But he does do one thing consistently. David repents when confronted and returns to the Lord. What an example of faithfulness and mercy. God forgives his chosen leader and restores the relationship that sin had broken. This same God is merciful to you, too. And his forgiveness is just as real when you come to him in repentance. Thanks for listening today to In My Father's House. You can explore more of these messages by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll find directions and service times at harvestnyc.org. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? If you feel led, we're thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thanks for partnering with us in this way. That's all for today. Tune in next time for more on In My Father's House.